Welcome to The Gray Report. I'm your host, Spencer Gray. If you're a multifamily investor, active, passive, somewhere in the middle, or someone that's just been in the industry for years, well, this is the one show podcast or YouTube designed especially for you to keep you up to date, up to speed with all of the latest invest information, helping you to have a really clear vision of what's going on in the industry, in the market. And if you're an investor, it's going to help you make some really well-informed investing decisions. A great um, deck of reports today, um, a piece from the Federal Reserve Bank of the United States, not sure if you heard of them, talking about um, upcoming conditions um, as well as a release of their minutes from the last FOMC meeting, a national rent report from apartment list taking a look at, you know, are we trending in the right direction? Are things still flat or do we have trouble up ahead? And we also have a really interesting piece from Cushman and Wakefield titled The Glide Path Report. What is that? It's an interesting title. It's about capital markets, um, which is a really crux of making any deal work in today's market. So critical piece of information. Well, Dr. Matt Bosnagel and myself are going to be breaking it down, giving you some original commentary. So stick around for the full episode. Let's get into it. Welcome back to the report. Joined by Dr. Matt Bosnagel, Director of Communications here at Gray Capital. Again, my name is Spencer Gray. I'm the president and CEO of Gray Capital. We're a multifamily private equity um, real estate investment shop based out of Indianapolis, Indiana. I also host this uh, podcast YouTube show with Matt every single yep. week. Matt, um, thank you for keeping uh, the lights on last week. <laughs> Kept it on for a, for a little longer than usual. Yeah, I heard it. it that's what you said. But we had Addison, um, Lubert, and Katrina Green. Mm-hmm. Um, great multifamily um, experts. Yeah. Um, great capital um, all-stars. Um, oh, it was really interesting. Different, different, you know, scope. You're going to get different mm-hmm. perspectives. Um, very different nice. perspectives from yeah. both of them. From kind of the, the heads to the tails. But so this week, um, back on to it. And, you know, everyone's a little more positive. Yeah. A lot more positive. I think so. Yeah. And, and like, I feel like a dummy, but there is, you know, uh, recent PCE uh, yeah. employment yeah. numbers. There's just like not the, we're, we got to get, we got to get another bank crisis coming here to, to dampen some people's enthusiasm. You know, it's the quiet dog days of summer. Um, you know, we've been pointing to some potential distress out there. And, you know, if that would, if that, you know, kind of hits ahead, it's not going to be until, you know, the fall, really October or November. So it was always going to be a quiet time, whether to the upside or the, or the downside. Mm-hmm. But um, it really looks as though we're getting... A lot of answers to the questions that we've been asking since March of yeah. where we've said, you know, we, we need to get more data. We need to see how this is going to play out. We need to see how these interest rates, once they really start um, filtering in and really feeding into the real economy, mm-hmm. what those effects are going to be um, on the investment market, especially in the labor market, um, and how things will normalize or is something, you know, going to break with almost uh, an implied certainty that something will break. Yeah. yeah. Um, and and you could argue some things have broken or cracked, um, but it didn't necessarily bring down the whole ship. Like the mm-hmm. banking industry, we had SVB, you know, we signature bank, you know, we had that banking issue. Like you mm-hmm. said, you know, we need something else. Is something else like that going to happen? Yeah. Um, but now with the Federal Reserve, you know, saying they're pausing for now, you know, potentially two more rate, rate hikes at some point, you know, they're keeping, keeping some ammo ready to go. It's not saying that they're done. Yeah. But, you know, we're kind of you know, more stable than certainly than we were a couple months ago. And um, 
people think that we may again get this kind of soft landing or at least you know touch and go yeah. um and, and it's not going to be the end of the world is that is that you know from your analysis it, i mean is that what you're saying man yeah yeah that i mean they've been i think they revised uh first quarter gdp up yeah. from uh from a little while ago there's just a lot of good signals now there are some some caveats and and a lot of these like still la- lagging indicators that's like, yeah, it looks good now, but it always yeah. looks good before something. Yeah, that's a good point. And I, I do think, though, as we think about soft landing or whatever, is there still is it's the specter of inflation hasn't gone away. And I think that the general thought is that the Fed is going to err on the side of caution or at least err on the side of more rate hikes than less rate hikes. Yeah. Um, as long as that's the sentiment, maybe that. I mean, if they get away with it, spending. I mean, they haven't broken anything yet, so why yeah. not? You know, they've got the kind of flexibility. <laughs> um, um, bless you. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I I think that it it is funny though that like you know we've survived for this long. There hasn't been huge, huge uh like the cost of food hasn't hasn't skyrocketed like it is. Perhaps maybe it was some of it the supply chain issues yeah. and and have yeah. the, have they eased yeah. or. I don't know. I'd love to know the start and the end or how much we're still, because I know in some construction jobs with like labor shortages that still may be persistent. I'm not really sure, but I don't think everything's moving like, you know, a well-oiled machine yet. Yeah, that's but true. I'd like to think that a lot of logistics problems are moving along more smoothly and making things a little cheaper than they used to be a, a year or two ago. Yeah, I think that's the case, or at least the rate of growth has slowed down. Yeah. And, you know, it's not surprising that you know, prices haven't like gone in reverse. I mean, that that's, doesn't mm-hmm. usually happen. You know, I yeah. mean, maybe a little bit of deflation if we had a recession, but mm-hmm. if not, just that, you know, that rate of growth reduces and really it's, it's just been normalizing. And then the surprise is that we, to many uh, observers um, throughout the economy, is that things have normalized in a somewhat healthy and normal, yeah. orderly way mm-hmm. um, without causing a crash. Yeah. And yeah. the chaotic, nature of some so much of this mm-hmm. i think it is i think surprising people because yeah. of just the complexities of switching off the world economy and turning it back on yeah um not that we haven't had hiccups like nothing everything has gone just swimmingly um inflation was you know one of the, the results and you know inflation has you know reared its head and you know caused yeah. a pretty big wake mm-hmm. but it has not brought the economy crashing down yeah yeah and and it does seem like if there's any one unifying concern it it seems like inflation more than i you know I, what i'm looking for is like the chink in the armor of the economy um and, and i'm sure that there are you know hundreds of economists right now looking for the equivalent uh you know whatever the the great financial crisis you know uh mortgage-backed yeah. securities the, yeah. those kind of things like is there an area that's particularly vulnerable that's going to cause the domino effect? Mm. But like they haven't found it yet. No, um, they have said sometimes. Some people say, "Oh, we can watch out for the office market." But you'll see in this report, in and even the Cushman report, that like it's going to be hard to push that over, um, and, and it'll hard yeah. to be as systemic. And, and you know, and we're going to look at some of um, some guidance on to you know um, the banking system on how yeah, deals of distress, yeah. which I, which was really interesting. Mm. But is it a situation where it's so obvious? Like, I don't know, I'm talking about the office market. Yeah, I know. Like, it, it, it is um, so clear, mm-hmm. the, the distress and, and the upcoming distress. And we can see it playing out over the next couple of months and, and years. And it's, and it's unlike multifamily 
um, where, you know, the fundamentals are still really strong or, or maybe even stronger, strong as ever mm -hmm. for where office, it's like, it, it's looks horrible from a, you know, capital markets standpoint, but it also looks horrible from a demand standpoint. Yeah. Yeah. It, it just, the deck is just stacked against it. It just, it is what it is. Um, does that allow institutions, you know, individuals to, um, make accommodations just to figure it out if the rest of the economy is mm -hmm. doing all right, just like we've said relative yeah. to the multifamily, you know, loan maturities, mm -hmm. if it were, if, if it's just pocketed, it can be absorbed. But if the office market is, you know, spiraling and the economy is spiraling and, and yeah, the multifamily fundamentals may make sense, but like just the system can't hold much distress and it's just going to take some of it down with it. Yeah. But if it's really, everything else is just, going off and everything is great that will be an environment where liquidity exists yeah and it'll be problems a, can be solved yeah it'll be there it, it, it'll be an environment where there are losers there are winners yeah. oh yeah but it's not like everyone's a winner or everyone's a loser which yeah. are where you, when you should probably start worrying yes um and i uh i was really struck by that so there is um a moody's Moody's Analytics piece that we covered a couple of weeks ago that talked about just how hard it would be to get to 40% devaluation in the office market. Yeah. And what what I was struck was the occupancy number. Some of these occupancy numbers were actually a little higher than you think. People are still coming into the office. Um, I still think that even a small persistent change in the office in office demand is going to have a huge effect. Well, I think that's it's the slow burn concern yeah. is that it's not like, oh, it's just this year it's bad. It's mm -hmm. that as the leases roll over over the next five, the seven to 10 years, yeah. are the decisions going to be made of like, we don't need as much office space. Mm -hmm. um, but then, you know, businesses grow over the same period, new businesses. And there are trends, I think. And, yeah, well, and so to put a pin in the kind of office conversation, yeah. I think a lot is going to be dependent on how much leverage unemployment and uh, an employee leverage is going to be a big deal. And um, I also think that there are like cycles and trends. Um, maybe, you know, maybe for a while at the beginning of the pandemic, everyone's like, yeah, come in, work from home. Then they realized that there were certain trade-offs. Yeah. You know, it's harder to communicate. Um, you know, I think productivity still washed. I think that there's still, you know, I was talking about this before or earlier, like coordinated, uh, work from home may, may be a little bit easier or yeah. something, but it's not going to be all the same. Then I'll go and go back to the office. No. Yeah. It, it's, it, it, and are, you know, are we experiencing or will we experience a snapback of like, that's what I'm, back yeah, in the that's what I'm kind of, I don't think it's going to come all the way. Yeah. No. It, and it's, I think it's very different, different regionally also. Mm -hmm. Um, I mean, conversations around the central, central Indiana, I mean, there are some folks that are working from home a lot more or all the, or hundred percent, they just haven't gone back. Certainly the case. Yep. But uh, my, uh, the average conversation I'm having, and again, I'm, it's biased to folks in real estate and finance and insurance and stuff like that. Or pretty much everyone's back in the office. Yeah. Um, but then you know, I hear folks like from New York and they're like, oh yeah, I'm back in the office two, three days a week, maybe mm -hmm. if that, and what I was. I don't see that as much here. Yeah. I, and this is just the bigger stuff I was thinking about after speaking with Addison about all this. You know, the younger people may be the ones that go to the office because they have less leverage than the older yeah. people that want to work from home and maybe have family and maybe more, more reasons to want to stay at home. But if that's the case, if that's what happens, then there is this generational gap mm. where the younger people that you all know what the people around your age group know, yeah. and there's less communication between the older folks 
and the younger folks and you're really kind of siloed, not purposely, yeah. but, but like translator. Yeah. Like the informal uh, connections are, you know, and, and, and maybe you, know, that's, that all makes sense. I mean, when you're younger and you're learning, you need to, not everyone, but people learn hands-on yeah. and being in the group. I think it definitely is an environment and culture that fosters learning and, mm-hmm. Then does that then you know, kind of build off a culture of then well the young all the young kids are here you know uh, we want to be that we, we want to be in the middle of it also or is yeah. it a like mm, you know I've I've done that now I'm gonna you know serve my yeah, my, yeah. my tenure you know I think as a responsible cor- company you should be pulling some of the old old fogies into the office you know old yeah. fogies <laughs> yeah. middle aged yeah yeah no no so that that is... to facilitate that kind of. And, yeah, and mentorship. I, you know, coordinating is going to be probably the big, yeah. the big name of the game. A lot of it has to come down to leadership. I mean, if like, yeah. if the bosses aren't going to come into the office, why would anyone else yes. want mm-hmm. to, you know, come in? Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's it, it, whether people admit it or not, I mean, that's just, that's just the case. It's like, yeah. well, hey, we're not, we don't have to, they don't, they don't, they don't see it as important. Mm-hmm. Um, well, let's, let's, Matt, let's hop in. Where do you want to go first? You want to talk about the Fed? You want to yeah, go into this? Uh, I know you noted, I was like, yes, let's talk about it. Um, yeah, so the Fed had, and you kind of put me onto this, the Fed had re- has recently released a policy statement, an update actually, a policy statement on prudent commercial real estate loan accommodations and workouts. Uh, and is this in the response to the report we put out recently, Matt? Or uh, <laughs> just, just, just on it. that was my spin on it, but that maybe that's just a coincidence, <laughs> you know, as far as you want to, as much as you want to believe in coincidence. Yeah, just to summarize the reaction, that was, that was Spencer's like, oh yeah, well, obviously they now they Federal can't. Reserve reacts to Great Capital's yeah. recent um, report, which you can find um, at the Great Capital C. That's true. All we'll have to track our, track see who downloaded it if we get a .gov. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> interesting. Yeah. It has blown up though, so I'd check it out. I mean, we right. a lot of people downloaded it last week. Anyway, Matt, so w- what are they what are they figuring out? What is changing? So, um, and and what are they foreseeing? Because you know, yeah. this is looks like it's like they're preparing to have the right tools in the I, toolbox. Yeah, I think so, and then that's probably the best takeaway. Now, the I'll, I will preface this by saying my takeaway was, oh, great, a statement on loan accommodations and workouts. Does that mean they're going to bail out? I mean, they're going to accommodate. They're going to make it easier. For people that could have distressed property, now I, I said that's kind of annoying for everyone that's waiting for distressed properties to uh, to kind of activate the market and 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 create a little bit more of a you know deal flow, but I don't think that there is much teeth to this. It, but it does kind of outline. I think this what your point your point is the is the best one here is it shows what they're thinking about and yeah. they see it coming along and it's not just multifamily. And so just on the background, um, some, just the background of what we're talking about. Um, so back in 2009, um, the agencies, so, you know, that's the Fannie Mae, just different mm-hmm. types of, um, you know, government uh, or quasi-governmental organizations, along with federal financial institutions um, and some other organizations, um, they basically created a framework for how lenders can work out bad loans with borrowers. Okay. Um, and and so they put together basically a you know set of you're know, not rules, but again guidelines of here's how we'd like to use if you're in this situation, here's how you can work out the problem. Mm-hmm. So we can avoid um, you know, economic calamity. Um, to, you know, basically in a sense informally formalize you know the kind of extend and pretend avenue that we yeah. you know, we we've been talking about um which is basically where hey 
we know right now you're underwater, upside down, things don't, but you're a good borrower. We don't want to take back the asset. Yeah. As a bank, as a lender, I'm not in the really the asset management business. I don't know what to do. I don't have like the, the team to to have the conversation with the property manager every week and, and you know, yeah. to replace the toilet. And they're not tooled like that. Um, so what are we going to do in, in different circumstances mm-hmm. to um, yeah, accommodate um, if they can't accommodate? Yeah, so, so it's so better to, make, to to like give you a little bit uh, more lenient terms, be a little less strict because you're in trouble, and and that way they don't have to you know take it all back and and actually it's less expensive for them to be lenient in this in in kind of these situations is the yeah. way that I kind of was because especially if it's a case where it's you know it's a good operator, it's a good borrower, it's just a, it's product of the circumstance mm-hmm. and in the environment right now, and this is I think a very strong argument that that could and is being made. Look, yeah, interest rates are high right now. We've had a bad year. Yeah. Interest rates, most likely, according to from the Federal Reserve, everyone else, will mm-hmm. be lower in a year or in a couple of years at some point. Yeah. Give us a little bit more time instead of the, the 12, 24 months. Just give us the, the 36 or the 48. Yeah. Give us a little bit more time. And maybe if we don't have the money to pay, the, you know, just let's work on a payment plan that you agree to. You know, we owe you million dollars a year, we're going to pay you $400,000 a year and we'll make it back up. And mm-hmm. you know, it's, you know, there's some, yeah, it's yeah. not, not going to be free. They're They're going to have to be modifying the, the, the covenants of the loan, the loan docs. Mm-hmm. Um, but just some, some framework that, you know, it's going to give, you know, the permission to these institutions, um, they, when they find themselves in these situations is what, what to do and what's yeah. okay. And, okay. And, and also I think what the federal reserve, you know, from their, um, position as like a banking system regula- regula- uh, regulator, you know, would like to see okay. happen. Okay. Yeah, I, I did highlight this passage. So as kind of a difference between the, or, or in addition to the 2009 statement, and it says that consistent with safety and soundness standards, the final statement reaffirms two key principles. Um, the first is that financial institutions that implement this loan accommodation uh, after performing a review, will not be subject to criticism for engaging in the, in these efforts. You, you <laughs> shall not speak poorly. We will, yeah, exactly. Of these institutions. <laughs> well, it does seem like you know there there is an un uh, an unstated expectation. Like, okay, we're not going to come down on you, maybe. Um, but again, uh, no real real uh, result of what what might happen. Number two is that modified loans to borrowers who have the ability to repay their debts according to reasonable terms will not be subject to adverse classification solely because of the value of underlying collateral has declined to an amount that is less than the outstanding loan balance. So basically, if you're underwater, the value has gone down, well, yeah, you're good. I guess, well, I I can only see, that's the thing, that was why I was annoyed. It was like, the market could take care of it. Now, maybe the office market, if it's crazy crisis mode, that's, that's another thing entirely. But for multifamily... There is like, uh, you know, it's hard to, it's hard to see people going and crashing and diving, you know, crashing and burning and and getting rescued. Do you feel like sometimes the the entire economy is like we're playing like bowling with the bumpers on? Sometimes like yeah, it's yeah. like like no, we can't have no one can get hurt. We're waiting Everyone's... for gutter. We sometimes yeah, we need the gutter balls. Yeah, right. Otherwise, you think you're great, and so you yeah. keep throwing it the same way. You don't have to improve your you know your I'm not a bowler. Your toss, well, your throw, and you know technique. what I, you know what I think, and this is a, it's a little bit of a poor analogy, but it is something that we have discussed. In that, like, 
if these um, operators, and let's just use retail for an example. Let's say it's an operator who is not getting a lot of profit, and but he's waiting. He's waiting. Leave that storefront open because he's going to get that higher wage, even though his bill is not great. He's not. But guess what? You just got to work out on a loan. And so he doesn't he doesn't have to fill it. He gets to continue to wait and continue yeah. to not use it as efficiently as he as he could. And you're still going to see that empty storefront. It excuses and in, and in, in potentially encourages mal poor and mal investment. Yeah. So that in, in the like the um, scale of hundreds of millions and billions of dollars. Yeah, yeah. Now it will save people. People will be happier yeah. to have their loans worked out. That is, it's and like just in the same way that distress is going to be a tragedy for some people. But you know, we've got we got a plan for it, and we didn't need the federal government stepping in to to address. Well, there's a lot of just bad owners out. I mean, there's a lot of great owners, but there's a lot of bad owners. There's a lot of people who made decisions and took risks that um they probably shouldn't have, mm -hmm. and in there should be losers and there should be there should be opportunities for new participants to come in and create opportunities yeah. and build wealth um but there'll be fewer of those opportunities because those that already you know have the capital mm -hmm. um who have misallocated the capital yeah and because you know capitalism which we don't you know don't, don't have you know there's not real free market capitalism but you know it's a you know system of like resource allocation mm -hmm. and you know, the market it works off signals and, you know, prices are signals. There's different more, there's different signals. But if, if the resource is, if we're not, if we're awarding major capital allocators for poor investment decisions and poor allocation, mm -hmm. it, the system doesn't get any better. Yeah. Yeah. It just can't work. Now we're solving to make everything comfortable in less volatility to have less short term pain but you know, does it create you know longer term you know um, systemic issues? Mm -hmm. And then again, you know, people are complaining that you know you have a bad landlords and people not taking care of their properties. And it's like, well, these people are kidding. You, know, you, you sort of called it a bailout, and it sort of is a backdoor bailout in mm -hmm. a way. Um, it, it's you're not necessarily handing people money, but you're also you're, but you're you are in a sense that the money that they are supposed to hand over, you're letting them keep. Mm -hmm. Yeah, so saving them some. And um, now we're not going to get into you know student loans, but um, yeah. I, I, I the same arguments that I would make against forgiving. Now these loans aren't being forgiven; they're just you know you're modifying the terms. Um, but it, maybe they should have tried that for student loans. I don't know, but I'm just yeah. saying you're, you're the arguments of you're picking one group of people, one mm -hmm. group of Americans, yeah, um, and prioritizing them, you know, forgiving those loans. But it's like, but what about the guys that go into trade school? What about the people that you didn't go to college and, you know, they tried hard, they started a business, you know, where's their check? Well, same thing with the, the same argument can be made here. You know, yeah. well, what for the people you're going to modify, you know, loans for borrowers? Well, what about the, what about the office? What about, what, what about the borrower of another business or, or something that doesn't, you know, qualify? Yeah. Um, or the person that, that couldn't buy it because they couldn't, you know, there's a whole lot of groups out there that love to have their loans modified. Yeah. So, you know, we're it picking is interesting. and choosing. Yeah. Yeah. I wonder you could translate, you could chat GPT, change this, change all, change the language. Instead of CRE borrowers, we're talking about student borrowers. Yeah. Interesting. interesting. Would, be, would be interesting. Yep. Yeah.
So, man, I know it's 90 pages. That's why people come to the Gray Report. Any any other takeaways? Um, the other thing that it did add was some examples um, on like page 75 or so of the of the report or publication. It has some multifamily examples. So here's a loan. <laughs> this is how I this is how I uh, summarized it to Spencer earlier. Is you know it says like here's a loan. So and so is not making money on it, and it has a devaluation of a property, and uh, you give him a break this way. Here's another loan that's a bigger problem. Oh, you give him an even bigger break. Um, there's nothing. Yeah, the, this is this no is great. Let's go. Okay, so what, which which example? Which example? So page, them in? Yeah, page seventy-five. It starts. Okay, with, sorry. Page, they've got a lot of examples yeah, lot, or yeah. a lot of scenarios. There's like it, it'll take one property, like a multifamily property, and it'll run it through in a hotel one or retail or an mm-hmm. office. And I think they also have a single family one as well. But um, basically, yeah, there's no there's no solution. That says, "Oh yeah, you you kick him to the curb." This is a this is a, a kinder. These are kinder scenarios. Yeah, I mean, yeah, the I mean, my kids' baseball games. There's no outs. <laughs> yeah, that's right. And you think that like, okay, well, when maybe when they're like eight or nine, they'll start playing for real. But like, you know, no. According to according to this guidance, you know, there's yeah. there's no outs. There's you know when we're, we're yeah yeah yeah. We'll, we'll give him a break. So, well, so multifamily yeah. property, base case, take a mat. Mm-hmm. Uh, lender originated $6.4 million loan for a 25-unit apartment building at maturity. The lender renewed the $5.9 million loan balance. Um, and, oh, I'm sorry, leases are typically 12-month terms with additional. So these are kind of typical, typical stuff. 88% leased, but due to poor economic conditions, delinquencies have risen from two units to eight units. Six of the eight units are 90 days past due, and these tenants are facing eviction. So this is the scenario. At maturity, the lender renewed the loan balance on principal and interest payments for 12 months at a market interest that provides for the incremental risk. Borrow had not been delinquent. Current financial uh, the debt service coverage ratio is below one. That means it's underwater, right? Yeah. Um, so it's 80 or 0.80x because of the rent payment delinquency. Borrower projections show return to, uh, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm kind of skipping ahead here. A new appraisal has not been ordered. However, the lender noted in the file that if the borrower does not meet current pr- projections within six months of booking the renewed loan, the lender will obtain a new appraisal. And let's, I want you to tackle the classification. Um, so the lender internally graded the renewed loan as pass and is monitoring the credit. The examiner just agreed with the lender's analysis and classified the loan as substandard. Um, so basically the lender is saying, hey, we're not going to get an appraisal. It's mm-hmm. all good. Um, while the borrower and guarantor can cover the debt service shortfall in the near term using additional guarantor liquidity, basically saying that the guarantor is just going to come up with cash out of his own pocket. Okay. The duration of the support may be less than the lender anticipates if the leasing fails materializes projected, saying, all right, you got, you got some cash in the bank mm-hmm. now. You can keep floating the loan. But you don't get these units leased up, you're going to be in a bad spot. You're not going to keep able to, you're not going to be able to do that. Seems reasonable. And, and they may say, and I don't know if they said that they had to do this. Basically, you're going to have to add those like reserves. You've got the cash. You're going to have to add and you know, drop it into escrow, um, which they did during COVID. They had, you know, they they had big COVID you know, debt service escrows mm-hmm. um, for for most loans, and it, it made capitalizing a little bit more difficult. Economic conditions are poor and the rent reduction may not be enough to improve the property's performance. Lastly, the lender failed to obtain an updated collateral valuation, which represents an administrative weakness. It's not a cruel treatment. The lender maintained the loan is in a, 
is in accrual status. The borrower has, I mean, it means it's accruing. A little bit more strict. The borrower has demonstrated the ability to make regularly scheduled payments and even with the the decline in the borrower's credit, credit worthiness, the borrower and guarantor appear to have sufficient cash resources to make these payments if projections are met and full repayment of principal and interest is expected. The examiner concurred the letter's accrual treatment. So basically saying, come up with the cash. Yeah. So there are other ones where it, they accept the debt on uh, it's non-accrual. Um, and basically, you know, if you it, it, the harder situation you're in, the more generous the potential workout is going to be. Yeah, it is. It is interesting. The worse you get, the more yeah. help you get, um, which, I mean, sort of makes sense. It is nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, there's a framework for, mm-hmm. you know, you know, assisting borrowers, uh, you know, bar- borrowers out. Um, yeah. Now, a lot of this, I assume, is going to be really directed towards, you know, agencies, mm-hmm. um, you okay. know, within the F- you know, FHA, Fannie, Freddie and HUD. Um, but probably not going to be as applicable, although I'm sure that they'll use it as a, as a, um, guide, um, to the bridge lenders and the debt fund folks, which a lot of the kind of the distress and the concern, Mm -hmm. you know, is, is concentrated from those, um, those debt providers rather than, um, the agencies. Mm -hmm. And we always know, you know, the agencies are, um, really there to act as a stabilizing force in the housing market, kind of sort of be a lender of last resort and kind of the, the doors always open. Yeah. There to accommodate, really not there to they're not they're not really there to be a um, you know, maximize profit um at at all costs. Okay. Um they they really shouldn't be by kind of by their their charter. Um but you know, bridge lenders and debt funds are are a completely different animal. And so it's gonna be what they can handle, what they can do and what they want to do, how they can make the most money. Okay. Um, so the, the, it'll, 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 it's going to, it's going to be inter- interesting. Yeah. Um, but I think that, yeah, I think if you've got an agency, agency loan, you're probably going to be, you know, government sponsored mm-hmm. entity guarantee, you know, there, there's going to be some more, um, stability for you yeah. and more options than if you'd gone with a private bridge, uh, okay. lender, debt fund lender. Not that there aren't reasons to go that route in the right circumstance, but, you know, again, it's just during 2021, that was so many folks were closing with yeah. these bridge lenders and short-term debt, um, hoping to refinance yeah, later this year. Point. The parachute is for a little stronger if you had the agency, but some of the most endangered people are don't have that parachute. No, if you were, you know, pedal to the metal, full on risk, I mean, you weren't going, you weren't going agency. <laughs> uh, people, you know, weren't just ever, but like typically, typically not. Um, so Matt, where, where, where would you like to go to uh, next? If you could kind of, Talk about this Cushman and Wakefield. Yeah, let's go. Um, let's go to that, the Glide Path report. Yeah. So this is a useful review of the key. Th- what, it, what it says is the key themes facing CRE capital markets um, when it comes to macroeconomy, credit, debt markers, and CRE flows. Um, I really dove into the credit and debt markets portion. Now they do have stuff on the on the macroeconomy, um, and I really like their comments. It's like, yeah, we've pushed back the recession a few times, haven't we? Like, yeah, I, I kind of agree. Um, the, yeah, Groundhog Day since 2019. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And and you know that they do say there we're not quite there yet on inflation. There's some stickier parts of it. Um, but consumer and labor markets show strength. And I do think that this is a really uh, a really useful reminder. The correction in CRE started mid 2022. This is not the first inning. Um, a rebound. They say a rebound's not far off. And um, you know they finally kind of emphasize that the best time to buy property is when the Fed starts to cut rates. 
this tends to coincide with a bottoming and inflection in property values. Yeah. So we could uh, we could be on the way up, and this is a lot more positive than some of the more pessimistic uh, reports from CBRE last week and uh, and Fannie Mae, which is famously pessimistic. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> uh, but diving into the credit and debt markets. Oh, I'm sorry. That yeah, the cre- the the credit and debt markets portion, and this can actually be seen more in the report itself rather um, rather than this kind of overview. overview. Yeah. Um, but they say that credit will be tight through the end of 2023. They said pencil in gradual thawing in H1 2024. And also, and, and importantly, they have a whole section dedicated to alternative credit and financing that's going to kind of rise up to fill the void mm-hmm. left by the bank's uh, kind of more credit tight um, situation there. Uh, and all of these alternatives, whether it's mezzanine debt, preferred equity, senior debt, they're not going to be able to plug the gap uh, perfectly, but it is very interesting to see. And they have a graph there um, on that show people investing a whole lot more into the combined category of debt, distressed, and opportunistic. However, of these three, opportunistic takes the lion's share. And people who are looking for you know, these, these vague opportunities. Um, and then and then debt is the second biggest. And it's a sliver, really, of people that are looking for distressed um, as, you know, kind of at the exclusion to all else. Seems like it's this catch-all opportunistic. Yeah, because everyone wants to be opportunistic. No one likes the idea of distress. Yeah, yeah. Ex- uh, yeah Even true. though yeah. distress is where you can find the opportunity. Anxiety and opportunity. Seems, it is, again, because like an opportunistic, you know, um, strategy could easily be focusing on distress. Oh, to- that's what I was thinking. Like, what kind of opportunity? Yeah, yeah. So... I don't like those. I, I I don't really like the oppor- I don't like opportunistic and distress as like the categories. I yeah I agree. Well, but we do. We have seen this. We saw it in COVID. Yeah. Everyone's looking for opportunity. There were opportunities that came and went. That's another and 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 that got put like a a bee in my bonnet <laughs> about this idea of dry powder. And I'm I I'm continuing to ask this question. I will I'll have to look ask uh, a couple of experts because I was unable to just find it through research. How much of dry powder stays dry? How much circulation into and out of that category of dry powder is there? Or what it looks like, and I'm sure it's not the answer, it looks like these people are waiting, waiting, waiting for this opportunity to come, and it never quite does. But yeah, I think it's coming. If you have a better target, if you have a specific target, you're not looking for just like yeah. a big, great thing to happen next yeah, year. Yeah, are there inflows now? Is it, is it, a, um, is it revolving? You know, is there, yeah. you know, or you're saying, is it, is it piled up and, and truly on the sidelines? Yeah. I think typically it is revolving, but I think there's more to actually been piled up in cash recently. Okay. Yeah. That um, makes a lot more sense. But, you know, the, it'd be an interesting study of, you know, when, um, it's a lot of buying of treasuries, you know, mm-hmm. people, you know, staying in cash and, um, the tip, you know, they're probably buying three months, six months. T bills. Yeah. Um, when those start maturing, you know, people just repurchasing, you know, those treasuries. Some people have been continued to, but on those kind of um those periods where those they're maturing, people are having to reassess their strategy in whether to stay in cash or to allocate. Okay. And I'm hearing more conversation, people moving away from cash now, saying like, look, yeah, I'm getting the five percent is great right now, but it's not going to be there forever. I need to, I need to start looking for other solutions, okay. you know, long-term places to spend the money because, you know, in a year from now, maybe it's only paying, going to be paying 3% mm-hmm. and maybe all the good opportunities have passed by yeah. that point in time. Hmm. So pe- pe- people are looking to, you know, deploy, but to your question, I think there has been more actually just sitting in cash, not circulating mm-hmm. than in previous cycles. Well, that, okay. 
that makes that makes a little sense. And they and they also do talk about that as, as well in the context of these alternative financing sources and how like, well, what do they say? The issue here, if you scroll back, it's like in a footnote, it says the issue now becomes how many deals, business plans, et cetera, can stomach a largely floating rate index plus a spread that equals two and eight percent plus coupon. Um, yeah, so it's it's not a whole big attract. People will come up to meet the need for debt, but it's not like a bang on. And that's what we've been saying. It's like, yeah, there's a lot of like money that could be deployed. There's a lot of potential energy out there, yeah. but there's um, the that's not just money for any deal. Yeah, they have they have to be good deals. They have to mm-hmm. you know have an appropriate premium on the risk, and you know there's you know a real risk free rate now that we have. Yeah, and so I think people investors whether they're aware of that concept or not, are aware that they need to be paid a little more money than they have been. Yeah, And paying 8% interest doesn't make it easier to do on the deal side because people are saying, well, I'd rather be making, how do I get that 8%? Yeah. Like, I'll just take that instead of the yeah. 12 with a question mark on it. Yeah, yeah. Maybe 12. Yeah. Um, and now, uh, looming over this whole conversation and really kind of motivating all of this yeah. is the looming debt maturities and 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 it's something that you you have commented on and they talk about this specifically on um i think it's like page 41 of the report um they say that there are multiple factors that are going to lead to a property being distressed um they pull out these four major factors um the diminution of underlying value deteriorating cash flows and this combined group of floating rate loans bridge loans oncoming loan maturities and then finally constrained lending conditions I need to make a note of the visual here. Yeah, I was going to, okay, I was going to say, I was like, you said four, but there's a Venn diagram with three circles and then a line out to the side. So I don't, so there are the three circles, the line out to the side. I don't know. So three circles are diminution of underlying value, lower cash flows, and the floating rate loans. Those are the three. Off to the side is constrained lending conditions. So the Venn diagram is more like internal factors to the deal and the constrained loaning conditions are like external factors. I think that's what it is. So each of those circles and then the environment that's so the whole can you think of I'm thinking of like a better way that this could have been visualized like like a like they could have had like a square mm-hmm. when they had the Venn diagrams and yeah. they had like a square with like you know use the area yeah. around the square as the so I have a I have a even auto, I have a even outer take. Okay. So it's a glide. How you would design how you would design. <laughs> yeah, 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 exactly. Uh, this is what I was doing all all this morning. <laughs> Perfect. Lot of work. Along the lines, July. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> this is a glide path report, and why not make this kind of a linear path? It starts with deteriorating values, and then we go to, uh, or I'm sorry, deteriorating cash flows. It starts with deteriorating cash flows, and then you get to diminution of underlying value and then you go into your deadline of floating rate loans and bridge loans but does the floating rate loan um bring upon the diminution um i see i was combination it's combination of the industry yeah yeah anywhere in this report matt so it's called the glide path Mm -hmm. report is there any good analogies, metaphors, visuals related to glide paths? I do think on the on actual um, visual, the, I'm sorry, the tab, not the report itself necessarily. The tab, uh, but or I'm sorry, the they have a like a summary website um, for the for the report. And if you scroll up, they have like a little visualization that shows like this timeline. Um, and then it is worth noting here that one of their timelines is. It concerns the length of time in which um, CRE and loan maturities will remain an issue. And they say it's about the next seven years. 
Um, we're going to be I, I making decisions. That. I believe that. Yeah. Yeah, I believe that. Um, yeah, I still don't see the uh, the glide path visualization that I'd like to see. Mm, yeah. Well, there's a little bit of a glide, like as it fades into and out of each event on this timeline. Um, I'm giving them the benefit of the doubt. I really did, you know, it's like it's like a Gantt chart, and that was just what this is. Just, I'm not. I'm not up to speed on the on nomenclature for uh for. I know line graph. Mm-hmm. I know. I glide. High, it's not glide. And bar. Those are like the three. Oh, scatter, scatter plot, scatter plot's good. Yeah. Anyway, but, um, you know that's why that's why you, you come here for the information, but you stay right. for the you stay for the critique on the visualization. Yeah, of, yeah. The, of the report. And they had multiple takeaways that we have, you know, that we have kind of repeated here. Um, one uh, when it comes to loan maturities is one, it's not going to be uniform. It's not going to infect the whole market necessarily. Pockets of distress. Um, the, and they repeat the greater demand for alternative forms of financing. They and the seven year, uh, the kind of seven year span of time. And ultimately, they say that, and I don't, you're gonna have to parse this for me. They say that significant opportunity exists to optimize stressed and distressed assets and portfolios in response to changing market conditions. This applies to multiple points within an asset portfolio life cycle, all as it applies to both asset management and capital debt market opportunities. Mm. Get out. So, what does that mean? I think it says, get out there, let's start trading. Yeah, I know you're. I, you know, it, it does mean get out there, and sometimes these assets need to be recapitalized. And, and I think that's partially what they're going for is that it needs a new little life cycle, need a new mm-hmm. fresh blood and fresh energy. And a lot of times, and what happens is, is you know, a an owner goes into these deals, and they've got all these great plans, and when and they do the plan, but mm-hmm. it, they bring in enough money to do the big thing. You know, if typically it's a you know, value add or something, we're gonna. We're going to fix some things up. So you bring on the money to fix it up. Then you spend that money. And then you've got, you know, you're setting aside money for CapEx, but it's not, it's more of like maintaining. You're not necessarily yeah. bringing on like a lot of money to like renovate the whole property. To do, you usually have to bring on funding, whether through debt or equity to do that. And there's a lot of assets that's like, yeah, it's a good deal, but you know, it needs another million bucks. Yeah. These guys are out of cash mm-hmm. and, and, and they're like, they're barely making any money right now, but like it, this thing could be great, but it needs an injection. Um, and and so I think that's what they're getting at is that there's going to be different opportunities at, for different assets in their life cycle. Um, it, it could be a developer is just um, delivering a new development, but you know they're um, they thought they were paying uh, three to four percent on their interest rate yeah. for their construction loan, now they're paying eight, and so they've yeah. gone through all their cash and not, and they, they just need to sell it. And maybe that they've they've leased it up at lower rents because there was low demand for a certain period, and so the there's a new, a new owner just needs to come in yep. and just operate it I, different context. Yes, cut it loose. I think that there yeah, is a lot of cutting it, loose. You know, there way. needs it, it, you can't reel it in. It may you just have to save your future money that you would have spent on it. And I I wonder if that's what it is. It's like listen. If you're looking at this distress deadline that's coming up, stop pretending you're going to save money in the long run if you come to this yeah. realization sooner than later. Yeah, I was going to say sooner rather than later because you know they're not putting their best effort to it. Yeah, just just quick story. So I, <laughs> I was I was um in a good about thirty miles or so off uh off the coast of Key West, you know, to sixty miles away from Cuba, and we were f- fishing. Um, and I hooked up this big fish. And it was fighting for about 25 minutes. You know, I'm getting tired, but I'm yep. like, I, I'm, I'm fight. I'm like, this thing's coming on the boat. Yeah. This is what I'm out here for. And the get a little closer, start seeing some color and long story short, it's this big 
big shark, big lungy yeah. shark, which is cool. But you know, if you've done enough fishing, you've caught enough sharks, and like it's it's cool to catch a big shark. Like, yeah, it's a big fight, but you're not eating the shark, and you gotta have to deal with unhooking it, and mm-hmm. it's a little bit it's, it's a little bit of a pro. It yeah. can be a thing, but it's still fun. But I see the shark, and it's like it's not something I'm gonna bring home and eat. Mm-hmm. Not something I'm gonna bring on the boat. Yeah, and I'm like. Sooner we get this thing off the line, probably the better. Yeah, and I all of a sudden am not as motivated mm-hmm. in this fight. I mean, it's I'm still having fun. Yeah, but I care just a little bit less. Yep, is it, it? I need to get it off. And then a couple minutes later, it kind of swims. You know, it's getting much closer. It swims under the boat, mm-hmm. basically. You know, probably ten feet away from you know landing it. Yeah, it goes under the boat, and, and the line snaps. There you go. All right. Yeah, yeah. So I was very tired. I'm happy to be done. Yeah, yeah. And I think these owners are. It's the same thing. It's like didn't going anywhere yeah like there, there's no meat there's no dinner we're bringing home mm-hmm. so, sooner the better yeah changing plans and you know maybe don't don't talk about it like a failure just say listen things are playing they, they, the teams excited for the new owners <laughs> that's yeah. right that's right great property great stuff all right matt where uh where, where are we out to into multifamily specific actually if yeah. you want i'd like to uh do some spencer gray specific stuff um, okay. There were a couple articles released, um, published last week, um, just at the tail end that I wanted to bring in here. And now we've talked about the uh, report that we've done on uh, multifamily, retur- uh, multifamily loan maturities. We just finished talking about them in kind of a broader context. And uh, both The Real Deal and BizNow have published um, two uh, separate articles on this issue on our report. And, uh, and Spencer Gray and and I saw so uh, wonderful. So well, so my so there's my face is on this the real DLP uh, article, but it, it's uh, it's actually should be should be probably Matt's. Um, no, I, no, I don't know. I like that picture. They they did a good job. It's my LinkedIn profile picture. They they do a good job of the stylized photos. Um, anyway, yeah, I I, I had a pleasure um you know talking with um the folks Real Deal and BizNow about um the report that we put together, Matt, that, that you really spearheaded um the the report on upcoming um, loan uh, maturities mm-hmm. and potential distress in the multifamily market. You can find it on our website, greatcapitalllc.com. Um, but, you know, we put this out really just because of finding data points in the market yeah. and saying we should really consolidate this information in our mm-hmm. analysis. I'm after looking at it and doing it every single week all the time. And um, I think they put together a really good summary of what we um, are seeing, our perspective and um, some of the the ramifications, and it it was cool that um, and I think both humbled that you know, they took our perspective and our take and our analysis, yep. and you know thought it was worthy to put it out there. And in Biz Now, not only did they they cover the article itself, but they also have been using it as a data point for some, for some other articles. Mm-hmm. Um, specifically on a um, story that we've been covering on the Tides Equity um, oh, yeah. portfolio, just you know, kind of mass portfolio in the Sun Belt, a lot in Phoenix, um, and, and other Sun Belt markets that um, has just put out a statement that they may be issuing capital calls relative mm-hmm. to all of their multifamily portfolio, yeah. and and so the the is now used our our report kind of as a reference point in, in yeah. that piece as well, and so we've had a. And we were swamped. Uh, I think it was Friday when these pieces came out. I mean, our yeah. I don't know if it crashed the servers, but I mean, we were we were. I think it was our biggest day of traffic match. Yeah, 
um, ever that, especially from like organic traffic. It, it was pretty incredible. I had a meeting with Blake this morning. He was floored about the interest. So if you haven't checked it out, go take a look. Um, again, you can find the original report, greatcapitalllc.com, but then take a look at um, the real deal in BizNow articles as well to um, just get just a little bit of the yeah, perspective. Links in the link in the show notes. Yeah, links. Sorry. Yeah. Um. Yeah. It it was interesting, you know. And and one of the things that we did with this report, um, and I think which is still relevant and maybe even more relevant as we approach the date of these low maturities is, you know, we want to find out when when does something's happening as precisely as possible. And a lot of information that we've received over low maturities has say like. Oh yeah, like like the Cushman report said. Oh yeah, over the next seven years, we're gonna see elevated. Um, but you know what month? If we're talking about opportunities, if we're talking about things that may you know pop up and are not gonna be systemic, yeah, then you're gonna want to know, you know, if it's gonna happen tomorrow or next week. Yeah, you know that was the I think why they were mo- most they were interested in, in knowing two things, like when mm-hmm. and like how we knew when. Yeah, and the exact number. Mm-hmm. And I think the exact number, so you know, they could make sure they could drill down to it in the article itself. But yeah. it was the and, and why, and it was our intention of like, hey, look, we're going to put a little bit more specificity on you know when that you know, kind of that max Q period, the maximum pressure, yeah. you know, may may be or when it could begin, and um, in that that the graph, um, in in the report, mm-hmm. um, you know, starting in October, you know visually tells the whole story yeah and, and they saw it the same way same way we did um and, and i think it's useful yeah. as a data point and that's where we say look around and um yeah everything looks all doesn't look that bad but yeah. we're like but it's it's not if it's gonna get bad it's not supposed to be get bad until october yeah and and i you know it, it, if you look at the um the loans that were reported to be maturing yeah. through the cushman report they have 2024 as there's going to be elevated loan maturities too. And if you think about it, 2024, some of the loans that were made in, you know, from January to June of 2022, those are still, those are still on deck. And um, so there's going to be increased opportunities. What I, you know, what I think will happen is, you know, maybe it's like tight equity. Maybe it's like um, that Apple way investments. Maybe it's this complete implosion. I don't think that's going to happen. What is more likely is, that it will just reorient people's logic, reorient their spreadsheets that they're bringing in, and make them a little bit more uh, make make a lower price selling for a lower price more palatable. Yeah, and that's going to have a net effect. I can see just areas. being you know that being market a little soft, like yeah. areas of strength, but you know some big players are going to be focused on dealing with some of those issues. Mm-hmm. Less market participants just means less transactions, yeah. less buyers. Oh, really? Less, okay. Yeah, prices maybe not be bid up. You think that there's gonna? This is going to mean that the distress is gonna throw a significant amount of people out of the market. So let's let's just take Tide Equities, Tide's Equities as mm-hmm. an example. I, I don't I don't know those guys um, at all. So this this could be completely incorrect speculation. Um, but if they're in the middle of capital calls and they're in the middle of a handful of distressed deals, mm-hmm. um, maybe they're not going to be doing as many deals. Maybe they, I mean, likely they've, they've done, less, like, yeah. I mean, they've done like billion, like they've done a lot of deals in the last couple of years, mm-hmm. like a lot. So, I mean, they, they could be the rock stars that they seem like they might be and they handle this with grace and get out of it. It's coming unscathed and they raise all the money for the capital calls and they raise more money for new acquisitions. That could be the, that could be true, um, but I, I see it. Um, 
adding resistance to the market. Yeah, yeah. All things being equal. All things again. Yeah. All things being equal, I see a little bit softer. And people are going to be delayed too. They're going to mm-hmm. they're not going to be convinced that the market is great just yet. Yeah. And because it's again, we're getting a lot of different pieces of information. This week, everything is good. Mm-hmm. Everything's great. Um, you know, I heard I was listening to I think a Goldman Sachs. Um, their forecast, they've just, they've updated, um, they've got an interesting little, they do like a podcast of their economic forecast. It's mm-hmm. kind of interesting. Um, you know, I think they've reduced their chance of probability recession down to 25% over the next 12 months. Mm. The market consensus of forecasts is the average forecast is still ha- having it at a 60%. And that's been unchanged since the fall. Mm. So the consensus just is, we just not going to make any changes on what we think. Yep. But I think some of the folks that are looking at it a little bit at a higher frequency, which there can be downsides to that, yeah, yeah, can, yeah. but are saying that, I mean, it's down to 25%. I mean, do you remember when it was 100? I mean, not we're talking probably different forecasts, Yeah. but there were a lot of forecasts calling for 100, you know, and we, yep. we, and we made fun of it at the time, you know, absolute certainty for anything. Yeah. We were like, well, we certainly won't happen then, right? <laughs> yeah, that's right. You got to 100, like, okay, like, so it's not happening. And um, things look good right now, but that not everyone's going to believe that for a while. And we've talked about this before, but especially going into an election season. Yeah, yeah, that's a that's a good point. Everything's you know, everything is going to get. It's I mean, it, it's it becomes the reality matters not. It, it literally will just be what sort of political side of the aisle you subscribe to, sort of. Yeah. Um... It is heartening to see. I continue to go back at this. There is got to be an opportunity cost for listening to a do for for holding a more pessimistic view of an economy that doesn't come true. Yeah. So you know, and and I don't want to say people are are irresponsible, but I will say that it's easier to get clicks if you have a uh, mushroom cloud in the background and you're saying disaster, disaster, disaster. Which is what people have been do- doing for the last six months, and it hasn't happened. And you'll get clicks and get attention. It doesn't need to be. There. I mean, Peter Schiff's been doing it since yeah. before the last great fin- you know, financial. Well, really, he, he turned it up after great financial crisis, mm-hmm. and then you know he went a whole cycle and ongoing went, of, yeah, of yeah. being you know it's going to crash and you know and, yeah. and it's always sound like next a- six months. You know, and, and he's investing in, you know, he's he's in the gold business. Yeah. You know, yeah. and in gold hasn't really done I mean, it did all, all right for a while, but it's not hasn't been the like savior investment that, you know, he's been talking about it beef because of hyperinflation yeah. and, and all of that. I mean, some of the underlying reasons for investing gold are similar to for apartments. It's just, it's different mm-hmm. in, in a lot of different ways. Um but he seems to be still, you know, I'm, we I'm, we should have Peter Schiff on the show yeah, and, yeah. and not talk about, you know, economic, we'd have to, but more talk about, you know, the business, the doom and gloom, like strategy. Yeah, yeah. And, he, and he'll probably say it's not doom and gloom. I'm just telling you like the, what I see and I'm just talking about economics and, mm-hmm. you know, the, it is what it is. But, but like but your question, Matt, what's the opportunity cost of making like doomsday scenarios and then not coming true? Yeah. I mean, the guy doesn't seem like he's, you know, paid much. Yeah. Cost. Does he invest at all or is he all keeping it? Is he buying it all gold or, you know, <laughs> I mean, that, that, that's, yeah, that's a good yeah. question. You know, and he's not even like that big into crypto, which he could have been, but he was in the, you know, he was plugging gold. <laughs> so like he missed that train. I don't know. You know, he, I think he lives in Puerto Rico now. 
Well, and, and all of this kind of this the fact is like we are actually at a moment in the economy, I think, and and in rent growth, the family market, housing, whatever, where it's gonna pay to to pay attention to what things are happening month to month. Um, year over year is going to give you a really weird skew. And um, just kind of noting this apartment list, uh, their multifamily report shows zero year over year rent growth. Um, and it's probably going to get worse. But if you look at it over month to month, you get a different picture. And um, and things are so weird. Yeah, but in the past it, exactly that year over year versus month over month, because if it goes way up and then goes way down and then it goes up, 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 but you still haven't gotten back to where it was the yeah. year before. Yeah. It's like, no, we're, we're trending the right way. Now you could say, it, you know, where does that trend end? And then you can figure out, you know, higher highs or lower lows. Yeah, yeah. But I mean, it, it, you have to, I mean, you have to know both where, where we were, where are we right now? But then, you know, what does the fundamentals tell you of the next 10 years? Because yeah. if you, if for anything like today, if you're not taking, if you don't have a long-term perspective, I think you could get into trouble in it. But if you can take a long-term perspective, if you have the, you know, the, the fortune, so not everyone has that fortune. A lot of people have to have a higher velocity. I need to make, I need to flip it. I need, I need to make the money like this year, the next yeah. two years. Mm -hmm. um, but if you have five years, 10 years, we're looking at a deal right now, Matt, and you, I know, we, we, you know about it or you know of it. You know about it. I mean- could be could be a 15 20 year old yeah we're gonna like look at it 10 mm -hmm. but it, it seriously could be a i mean without a, I mean i know cash five, flow five it's it's gonna be a cash flow play it's gonna it's gonna be an every it could be an everything play but it's a it's an appropriate to have a long-term vision yeah um i yeah i i, I completely agree you know long-term vision when the market's shifting pay a little bit attention to the short term because if you you know if you want to make acquisitions and you want to look for yeah. the right market uh, in this apartment list report, and if you want to pull it up, but uh, oh yeah, 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 it shows the regions, and and there were two things. The first thing that I wanted to distinguish was month over month versus year over year. Now we talked about that last last uh, last week when there were so many mixed signal headlines about uh, home price growth. I enjoyed that. <laughs> the same, and you can kind of say the same thing a little bit about rent growth um, in twenty twenty three. Now. Um, the story of month over month rent growth is a little bit lower than the historical averages, but still positive. The story of year over year, and um, the chart will show you, is uh, is a plunging down to flat. We're at zero rent growth. Um, it's not that rents are zero. We're not giving away free rent, yeah. but it's not increasing in price. And um, that compares to, uh, it says May 2023. I don't know what the red and the blue numbers are here. May 23, that's just monthly um, growth. Oh, okay. Oh, the top oh, sorry, inflation. C, sorry, okay. CPI top line inflation. Yeah. And then the blue is um, rent of primary residence. And then the purple is the purple. Oh, yeah. Okay. So this is their, you know, they're, they're, they are also saying that uh, CPI rents are are heading down finally and they're, and, and they're going to start pulling things out. But oh, the most dramatic line is the huge, huge peak of rent growth that was in 2022. And right now we are plunging down. We have plunged into zero and, and may go in terms of year but again, and may go in the negative. But, and then, but again, so you can look at this graph and say we have 0% rent growth right now. Yeah. But it's not necessarily the case. Yeah. And that, and that is also true if you scroll. So if you scroll down the month over month, they show positive rent growth ever, for every month except for January of this year. Now, again, slightly lower 
than um, 2018 and 2019, which is the pre-pandemic years. Um, but my final thing, so we've got the difference between year, year, mother, month. Final thing is regional variation. Um, it is readily apparent that the story of this of this year, 2023 rent growth, is the Sunbelt popular Sunbelt markets are cooling off and taking the whole nation's uh, average with it. Um, well, this is, I mean, look at this. Though. I mean, the, yeah, the Sun Belt, which has been the darling and has been the kind of the consensus yep. play, Matt, um, is, is having rent declines yep. across the board. Except and, and for. Yeah, except for. Miami. Except for Miami. <laughs> except for South Florida. Yeah. Yeah, no, South Florida. It's like the Midwest and the South South Florida is yep. um, just keep chugging and along. One thing that kind of unites them is, well, first of all, is supply. Um, I, you know, the, the markets that it's almost like a, a, after 2022, um, markets suddenly became a lot more vulnerable or began to be more vulnerable to supply influx. Um, but all these popular sunbelt got dumped with new supply. Yeah. So that's one thing that is triggering this, uh, cool down in, in the popular form, formerly popular markets. Um, the second thing is I think cost of living is a huge thing. Yeah. Um, Midwestern markets are low cost of living and rel on a relative basis. There's a lot of Miami that has lower cost of living than you would think. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that I think that those are those are two factors that, uh, you know, uh, you'll probably see Midwestern rents coming up uh, a little bit slower on, you know, it's, it's not going to be perfect. They're not going to come up all the way to the Sunbelt rents, um, but they are, you know, uh, you know, my concern is it's going to be tough to buy maybe in the Midwest. And I, I and I, I will we'll see as more deals come on the market. Okay. Um, but if the competition picks up and those cap rates compress, there's, there may be a kind of a brief opportunity to kind of to get in in the Midwest, and, and we may even start looking more Sunbelt markets yeah. if, if folks um, are not as active in some of those markets. Um, but you know, the I mean, it, it really emphasizes that you can't overly simplify any um, narrative or investment thesis. Yeah, and, and I'm talking about investing in the Sunbelt with the idea that, well, it, you know, that's where most of the migration is coming. People are moving down there, which and they, is and absolutely they are. and. and they they are yeah and and again over the long term that supply will be absorbed and I think a lot of it actually is being absorbed mm -hmm. but um and it, it goes to show that you know, you can be right on one thing yep. but still the timing is hard to figure out and you can be yep. wrong in the short term you could have said I'm going to invest in Houston or Atlanta or um you know Memphis or Char or, or any of these markets in Las Vegas um. And I'm going to do a, we're going to do a deep value add. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it's a good market for the next 10 years. And over the next 50 years, it's going to be great markets. Yeah. Have great growth. But you, you picked the two years where it didn't work. And, and you, yeah, the musical chairs, the music stopped. And that's, you know, and I think that's why it's no coincidence that the, the dramatic stories about loan maturities that we're seeing are coming up in Sunbelt markets. Yeah. Markets that have had at this at all at once rising expenses all at once new supply all yeah. you know all at once here comes the the higher loan uh you know higher costs for for lending yeah. and uh and thank goodness that some people are kind of realizing soon now um i think it's gonna hit people too late yeah. though for, yeah. for for many too many people so, took the get rich quick um approach versus the, like get rich for sure over a period yeah. of time yeah and um, so even just a little bit further into the apartment list is, you know, they 
talk about nation's largest cities with Ned Rentworth. I'm really more interested in their ranking of uh, of markets that they have. You know, the fastest winners and fastest losers. Uh, the slowest metro level rent growth slowly <laughs> are some of these popular. Um, you know, Salt Lake City, not necessarily Sunbelt, but it definitely was one of those kind of destination remote working paradises. You can yeah. go, go for a hike, uh, go take in the nice aspen trees. Um, and Austin, too, had uh, one of the biggest amount, uh, largest influx of supply. And it was also, mm-hmm. those, you know, Phoenix, Portland, and over the last 12 months, New Orleans, Vegas, Phoenix, Austin, Sacramento. These are sunny places. And they're not seeing there's room. The map. You know, again, even on the um, on, on the three year, there's a couple Midwest options. I mean, Minneapolis, which has had it's a lot of its own unique issues, but in general, on this list, I'm really only seeing. I mean, Midwest. I mean, it, Milwaukee. Um, 19% over three years is pretty nice, though. Yeah, I was gonna say that's 19% over the last three years. Yeah. Um, I keep the, I keep thinking back to this about this one individual I met, Matt, and this was, this was in 2019. It's in California. I was in Napa Valley at, a, at an investment conference and there were a multifamily shop and we were talking and let's tell them basically how Midwest was mispriced and a good opportunity. And their entire like thesis was basically that the center of the country was basically going to just continue to be hollowed out. Like oh. continue to rust out is like that. Why would anyone be there? Yeah, and just everyone would just keep moving to the coasts and like Silicon Valley. Yeah, and 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 so they're just going to be building in in those markets. I don't, I don't agree. And <laughs> and uh, I, I, and like he was like, that's like our entire thesis. Mm. And I'm like, man, I could not have embodied like a more sense of like coastal elitism and arrogance. Yeah, yeah, and it, it's like. I, I like I don't even I might get an argument with you, you, you friend because you're going down that road you've gone down that road yeah um but I think about him a lot yeah yeah well you know what you know what I, for oddly you know, if they did all pour to the make things awful crowded and I think about uh crowded national parks and stuff yeah and like people like crowds and people like space guess what there's a lot of space yeah in the Midwest there's reasons beyond I think even uh. Beyond the fact that lower cost of living, I think you get a little more space. Mm-hmm. And that's something that's happened in the, mm-hmm. in the remote work world is, yeah. is people want more space, whether it's apartment square footage or even, dare I say, a yard. Yeah. Which I don't think is as accessible in, uh, in the East Coast. Well, it can, it can be just how much you want to pay for it, I mean, especially yeah. out west, you know, on the West Coast. Um, and, and again, so we're not, you know, this is not over like a short, because people say, well, you know, the Midwest, you know, it's just kind of steady at, you don't see a really any growth, but now everything has dropped down. So they look like they're strong mm-hmm. over the last three years. Um, again, um, San Francisco is the worst. I mean, Minneapolis is second. I'll, I'll give, but again, Minneapolis has had it, a lot of its own issues that really aren't related to anything other than Minneapolis. Mm-hmm. And it's San Jose. So to California, which is, you know, they're not too far away. Washington, I guess that's DC, New Orleans, Seattle, Pittsburgh, Houston, Portland. Oh, Matt, I'm seeing a lot of coastal. Yep, yep. I'm seeing a lot of coast. There's two in the Midwest. Yep. Now, fastest rent growth. Let, let's 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 look at this. You know, going the other direction. Now, over the past six, let's just over the last couple of years. Um, you know, there it, it, it's a good mix. Um, there's some coastal. There's some Sunbelt. Um, Grand Rapids is in there. Um, I guess that's the only Midwest. Now, over the last 12 months, Indianapolis is in the list, Kansas City, Chicago, Cincinnati, St. Louis. 
I mean, the last year, I mean, Matt, this is almost all Midwest, you know, albeit, you know, a, a New York, a Boston. Yeah. In Tucson. Yeah. Tucson's crushing it. Hey, yeah. Mom. If you're looking over the either the the past six months or the past uh, twelve months, there is a nary a sunbelt. Yeah, well, there aren't. There are, are, yeah, I was gonna say. I mean, Raleigh, Raleigh. I mean, San Diego is the farthest sunbelt. Farthest south that you Orlando. Had. I mean, Tampa. I mean, it's got all it's got all these past three years. Yeah, for the last twelve months. Yeah, there's not a one. Now Pittsburgh, maybe the low, no Louisville. Louisville's the farthest south uh, that you get. Yeah, with. I don't count. In our backyard. <laughs> she ours. So, claimed. No, it's. I think the Kentucky's a part of the Midwest. It's not part of the South. It's not. Yeah, you you cross into Tennessee. Tennessee. Mason did. So, Mason uh, there you go. is a straight line. Claim. Uh, we're proclaiming that first. Yeah. Kentucky. Mm-hmm. Um. Anyways, I do think that that is because a lot of the red growth story of of. 2020 later 2022 and 2023 is has is tied up in the strong supply that's why oh there's our chart oh well <laughs> sorry i need to share my screen yeah, they do have their fancy graph down here yeah but anyways all all that regionality is supplies a regional thing and what it pre what it kind of suggests i think is that there are strong fundamentals behind it not everything's sinking uniform uniformly and and be, because you can at least nominally Draw cause and effect on okay these this got a lot of apartments there's a little bit more vacancy here it suggests I think that uh, that it's not quite so dismal you just have to figure out what is which markets are going to get a lot of of apartments yeah. or which markets have a longer term vision that aligns with what you have uh, maybe a five year plan so if you're looking beyond that then I think you're fine like what you said earlier. Yeah, you have to have the the full picture and and uh, if you just look at demand, yeah, you're only looking at half of it. Mm-hmm. Um, it, it's the, what that balance is, and, and and then yeah, what's no one can predict the future. And real estate is hyper local. We talk about things at a national level because there are national trends that happen that are correlated, but then there's also local trends and local stories that mm-hmm. can, you know, supersede and um, yeah, interact in different ways, and. Um, it's best to be, you know, an expert in, in your markets yep. and to find the things that don't show up in the data because that, that's the other thing is that the data as we was while we try to get granular, they're just it's an incomplete, you know, dig, we're looking at digital pictures. Yeah. And to get that the true analog, you have to um you have to aggregate and consolidate and yep. um you got to use, you know, your, your brain. Yeah. And yeah. physically be there some, most of the time. Yep. So, um, you always keep that in mind is real estate is always so hyper local. Um, but you know, we try to correlate and see what trends are. And, and I find it amazing. Um, uh, what I do a lot, you know, I'll see here national report and I'll see if it's picking up and I'll look at our data. Mm-hmm. Then I talk to other apartment owners and, and to see if they're seeing similar things. Um, and sometimes with the opposite, and I see things that are going on in our portfolio and then I, ask different owners if they're seeing similar things and then it does it mm-hmm. correspond with the data and a lot of the, you know a lot of times it does especially in demand it's like man we had a, you know it's, we had a really slow couple of weeks then all of a sudden yeah. it's like national you know demand is slow it's slowed down we're like man we're crushing it yeah hey, you know, you're reading articles it's like it's slow it's slow but man we're crushing it. and then an article comes out things have picked up yeah and so it, you know they're anecdotes that you can't weigh too heavily on but it is amazing the 
um, some of the national regional trends that do exist and that, that correlate. And sometimes they go the opposite direction. Yeah. When Indy was still growing, and but the rest of the country was declining. Mm-hmm. Heck, if logistics yeah. is picking up, maybe there's areas, maybe there's a submarket that'll exactly. benefit from it. Exactly. Okay. Exactly. Matt, incredible. I know. There, you, you, you All the time on vacation, I was planning on a gr- audio return with more and more stuff to talk about. <laughs> There's, so there, there's, there's, there's more. There's more we didn't even get into. Yeah, um, true. There, there's so much that's jam-packed, man, on the Great Report. You got it. Um, every Thursday, mm-hmm. you send out a newsletter. It's called the Great Report. You can sign up at graycapitalllc.com slash report. No, that's the Mormon Charities Report what? slash newsletter. Yep. Either way, graycapitalllc.com. You'll, you'll find it, mm-hmm. whatever you're looking for. But every, again, every single Thursday, Matt, this thing is jam-packed, full of way more reports and articles than we talk about on on a weekly basis. And the people who read the newsletter are major decision makers yeah. in the industry. Agreed. I mean, I, and I'm just, we can we see who's reading it. And like, and it's not necessarily like investors are reading it, but it's like, it's the industry insiders. They're coming, yeah. they're coming to the great report to give that information. And I, and I know I've said this before or something like it, but like, we don't, you know, we don't try to dumb things down in the report. Yeah. I think that's why the industry insiders like it. Yeah. But also I think that there's plenty of stuff that's available that's accessible to people that are mm-hmm. just getting started and to people that are really seasoned. Yeah. The information is out there. A lot of times it's just finding the right information and that's what we're trying to provide people. Yeah. The truth is out there. Right? We'll do it for you. Truth's out there. That's right. I want to believe. <laughs> We've got truth's out there and we have it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Um, thank you for watching The Great Report. Make sure you're um, subscribed to The Great Capital YouTube channel. You're tied into wherever you get your podcasts. Make sure you're subscribed, however that works. Um, leave a comment below. Um, I think it was two weeks ago we went through comments. We them on air. Um, you know, bring it on. You know, say, say you guys, you guys, you guys, you guys are not, not intelligent. Yeah. That'd be good. Uh, or I don't know. Let's or be more specific than comment. that. Make, make a personal comment yeah. that it suddenly gets Man, in my subconscious and like starts then i'm gonna be like rethinking maybe i stutter too much or something that'll be yeah nice. yeah 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 really like some like psychological yeah yeah exactly. like throwing us off then we'll yeah. do it and we'll have not read them be like oh man i blink too much what is all this? yeah matt needs to like do his hair or something <laughs> that's right matt will be you'll see the rest of the episode yeah, being man. like you told me about it yeah 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 that's good but um read the comments um check out the report check out the newsletter um if you're a credit investor we'd love to have a conversation with you um you know we're we're trying to we're looking around mm-hmm. trying to find something that makes sense but we're not just doing deals to do deals um just uh trying to be smart about it that's why we started doing this podcast in the first oh, yeah. place matt let's we're just figure it out all right see you soon on the next episode of great report